0: Rory is a singer-songwriter from New Jersey who plays the guitar upside down and backwards. He recently released a new EP titled Songs from an Empty Room here in fall 2021. He is also the host of an Instagram live event every Wednesday titled The Songwriter Showcase, which is an excellent way for those wishing to discover new songwriters. For our conversation today, we will be discussing Where You Want to Be, the second album from Long Island, New York's Taking Back Sunday. It was released on Victory Records back on July 27th of 2004. It was recorded at Mission Sound in Brooklyn, as well as Water Music in Hoboken, New Jersey. Lou Giordano produced this record, and that name might ring a bell to some folks for his work with Bob Mould, Husker Du, Sunny Date Real Estate, and the Goo Goo Dolls. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest to the program. Rory. It's great to have you today. Thanks so much for uh, making some time to uh, stop by Cover to Cover.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Awesome. So we're going to be talking about all things Taking Back Sunday. And uh, I just want to start from the top. What inspired you to choose this particular record from the band?
2: So I'm just uh, a huge Taking Back Sunday fan uh, overall, but... I think one of the things that really makes them stand out is that each of their records has had sort of a a different sound. There's been uh, well-documented personnel changes throughout their careers as well, but uh, that's, you know, brought along some changes in their sound and then uh, also probably just growing up uh, leads to some natural evolution. So uh, I always had a, a lot of fun listening to uh the way things shifted over time and this one was uh where they really hit their stride i think
1: definitely so you you just sort of alluded to you know a question that i like to ask too about who the players are on the record now it sounds like you know at the time of this album um there are some personnel changes who is the lineup at this you know particular point of their career who made these songs possible
2: Yes. Yeah, so it's, uh, Adam Lazara's is the lead singer. Uh, he's on every record, but, uh, this is their second record where they had uh Fred Mascherino come in to be kind of like the right-hand man to Adam. And, uh, he brought some real, uh, rock and roll chops <laughs> to the, to their sound. Uh, there's Mark O'Connell, Eddie Reyes, and, uh, those guys were around for the majority of their, um, existence. I think Eddie's no longer in the band right now but Mark is still there and then Matt Rubano is on bass. So um the this lineup from what I understand, you know, was on for uh, two records, this one and then the subsequent one and you know, I uh, I can appreciate different things from all aspects of their career, but these two records were really the sweet spot in my opinion.
1: Nice. We friends. We're talking with Rory DeLasno here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about uh, taking back Sunday's second record, Where You Want to Be. Um, Rory, can you share a little anecdote for our listeners here about you know how you discovered um, the artist, how you how you discovered um, you know say the first couple of records? Um, was it through a friend or a relative or something along those lines? Um, how did it come naturally for you?
2: So it's funny, I grew up on uh, a lot of old school music. So I grew up on the Beatles and the Everly Brothers, uh Ricky Nelson, like I'm talking like late 50s, early 60s. And I was always convinced that I was born into the wrong generation, but somewhere around high school, I guess uh, sophomore or junior year, I believe my friends or uh, you know just people in my social circle were talking more about bands like The Used, Fall Out Boy, All American Rejects and uh, Taking Back Sunday was right in the mix there and um, pretty much My Chemical Romance, another one, anything you might characterize as emo, I suppose uh, which was a controversial label, but I've come to really love, to love it um, and I just, yeah, I was just totally uh enthralled. I was like, it's so much fun, you know, great energy and melodies and harmonies, and it's loud, but it's not too you know chaotic. It's the right mix of uh, you know, raw energy and uh, it's just sort of like controlled chaos, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I know that you're from New Jersey or you're based in New Jersey as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um yes. did you did you see some of the bands, you know, say early shows at at this point um because it sounds like they're from Long Island but they spent a lot of rec- you know time recording this particular album were you right there in the thick of it as they started to explode in that early part of the 2000s
2: They did and actually no um my whole musical journey both as a as an artist myself and as a listener was sort of regretfully one of um like uh inhibition and apprehension. So I uh I didn't do any of the things that you would think I might have done. I didn't go to any of the shows, I didn't uh participate. I wasn't playing uh myself for the most part during that period. Uh I was just kinda like listening on MySpace and pure volume as it was at the time and uh watching from afar. Now of course in hindsight I kinda wish I had been uh you know, in the front row or whatever. But uh, it didn't really impact my appreciation for them in the long run. But it certainly would have been cool. I actually found out they uh, – I believe they played a show in my hometown now where I am at uh, in Teaneck in the early days, which is pretty pretty crazy to think about right down the street from where I live.
1: That is crazy. Uh, friends, <laughs> we're talking with Robert Delasino here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tark about Taking Back Sunday's second record where you want to be so this is their second album do you think um that this is kind of a a little bit of a departure from that first record or do you think that you know just creatively they were you know trying to expound on what they did you know at the beginning and they wanted to get to this point what's you know what's your opinion of that
2: well i um one of the one of the positive sides of not being in the front row, you know screaming my head off was I kind of looked at things from an analytical standpoint, and so I've read a lot of interviews and you know- just read a lot of things and listened to a lot of things about them so uh my impression based off of what they'd said themselves is kind of just like things evolved unexpectedly because they were just like a bunch of kids for the most part in Long Island, just kinda like swinging for the fences, uh, at least that's been my impression. And then some sort of, uh, personal, you know, conflicts led to the, uh, the right-hand man of Adam Lozera, John Nolan, leaving the band. And, um, they were really like the, the John and Paul of the band, you know, kind of like, you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney. They're, mm-hmm. From, from what I could tell, at least, and from what I've heard, you know, they were like the principal faces of the, uh, you know, of the, uh, of the band. But, um, I don't, yeah, I don't think that, that, Personnel change obviously wasn't anticipated, and there was such a sharp change in their sound once Fred did come into the fold, so maybe some of it was maturation, but it, it seems like they kind of like took a sharp turn, but it worked, and I think it was pretty well received by their, yeah. um, their fan base, which is not always the case for sure.
1: I love dynamics in a band where you, you know, have two, sometimes three vocalists, but in this case, like these two, you know, you use the word principal, you know, kind of these principal songwriters or maybe in some cases principal vocalists. And there's always this kind of like call and response, you know, where they sort of finish each other's sentences at times. That is just so understatedly difficult and cool to just be really, really in sync with one another on stage and in the studio. Um, We're on the... Where I'm going with this right now is let's just segue right now into talking about some of your favorite tracks. We can pick your absolute favorites, or we can go as as our show here suggests, cover to cover. What um, I'll be guided by you. How would you like to how would you like to to uh, to talk about this album? Where you want <laughs> to be? <laughs> by
2: by all means, I mean we can go cover to cover. Uh, I think that the one of the nice things about this record too is it sort of takes you on a journey it does feel like there's uh it feels like there's no song that was put in the wrong order it just sort of flows nicely
1: so let's start from the beginning we've got track one here set phasers to stun real jabbing guitar you know kind of sounds here and very much in the spirit of somebody like the get-up kids you know circus something to write home about something along those lines but um what do you think about this opening track it's uh
2: That's, that's That's my favorite one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I should, I should amend that. I might say that a few times here, but it's certainly one of my favorites. Um, that car is really, uh, right off the bat just sort of catches your attention. And then, and then again, with the, uh, the vocals coming right in, right out of the gate, there's so much energy, there's so much, uh, aggressiveness. It just feels like the perfect opener to the record. And I, I remember hearing that, uh, Fred, who was on lead guitar in addition to uh backing vocals. You know, that sort of uh staccato guitar um you know uh you know playing sort of became like his uh trademark or he wanted it to be the trademark of the record and you do hear it kinda come come back and forth uh throughout the uh throughout the album. So I dig that when they're like setting a theme and like right out of the gate you get something that's very attention grabbing.
1: Yeah, are, are there any lyrics on this particular track that stand out for you, or is it just kind of the overall vibe that that grabs you?
2: Yeah, I mean, Adam um, is a principal lyricist, from what I know, and um, his lyrics are always just, like, interesting. Like, I, I sometimes I'm not even entirely sure what he's getting at, but, like, you know, there are certain lyrics, like... Um, Let me see, like in the bridge, he says, we'll paint our sins on the ceiling. I keep them glued to our chest, to my chest. It keeps me close like a promise kept. It's just like very, very interesting lyrics that paint a very vivid picture, um, even though it's not always apparent what the person's talking about. So he just has a knack for saying kind of lines that are easily repeatable.
1: Friends, we're talking with Rory Delasno here on Cover to Cover about taking back Sunday's second offering, Where You Want to Be. Um, going from set phasers to stun, we have a song called bonus mosh part two. <laughs> well,
2: such a good, right? Such a good song.
1: What, what, uh, what makes you like this song so much?
2: Is that like really trudging draggy guitar part that comes right in from the beginning. Um, and just it has that that raw quality again in the lyrics and and the way that the vocals are uh, coming through. I know I've listened to that song a fair amount during like a breakup, and you know the chorus is "Well, it's love, make it hurt, I deserve it." I mean, it's so emo, but like <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, that's how you feel in the moment. You just feel like screaming your mind out, and you know, screaming your screaming out, your, throwing your voice out, and just you know. Let it all hang out, and um, yeah, that song just kind of like it, it feels. It feels like what that feeling. It sounds like what that feeling is. And then even going into the very sparse chorus where he's just saying, "Well, it's love, make it hurt." Very few words. Um, the little bit right before it, I don't know if it's a pre-chorus or what, but it's just can't you can't you feel it rolling off your lips, tensing up your shoulders. It feels like things are kind of like crescendoing um Uh so just like dynamically it's a really powerful song i think
1: there's another lyric in here that i just want to bring up quickly and it goes like this the keys to the castle are right where i left them the princess walked in just to take more attention because after all well isn't that all that i've been after and after all well isn't that all that i'm after yourself and then it sort of cooled down a little bit there sounds like these sort of keyboard sounds kind of you know sort of a sound like a doorbell i don't know if that's a you know i don't know if that's just an affect or what or maybe i'm imagining that but um i wanted to just bring that up you know for something a little bit later um
2: mm-hmm.
1: that that maybe we could discuss uh, on the record um so okay after bonus mosh part 2 it gets way to a decade under the influence I was watching an old, like I went down this YouTube, you know, rabbit hole or whatever, you know, from maybe 2004, 2005. And this song, you know, popped up a decade under the influence. And this is just an absolute smoking song too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think this is probably the first song I heard from them. Um, and the, and the the video is so iconic too. It's just very epic and kind of like, uh, eerie. I think like eeriness is kind of like, uh, a theme when it comes to this band like a lot of adam's lyrics are kind of creepy and there's just a very like dark kind of interesting vibe to it because it's a very energetic uh song
1: he's a maniac on stage too isn't he? i mean this yeah it, it, i i think he's you know he's been known to hang from the rafters a little bit <laughs> yes. Tongue, but yes but yeah yeah this is yeah this is such a great one um I'm i'm looking for lyrics right now in the liner notes but it's uh ah, just that, you know, I've got a bad feeling about this. Like, just really just relatable stuff. And it's, that that, again, that sort of call and response between Fred and Adam that's just, oh, really just, it really grabs you by the heartstrings.
2: Oh, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is a quintessential song of that era for the band, too. And, I mean, I would say uh, maybe they're, you know, most iconic song overall. I mean, they definitely had a few really big hits Um, on the record before and the record after, for sure, a few favorites, like uh, um, "Q Without the E or uh, Make Dance or Fire. But um, yeah, this song is just like balls to the wall. And and Fred really makes his presence known here because he's really screaming. I mean, especially at the end, he's just saying, I got it bad over and over and over. And, you know, it's uh it's interesting because Fred comes like from a jazz background I I later learned and um yeah he's got these killer riffs and the, these really like beefy guitar sounds that are sort of missing from the records after he left but he's also just like an absolute madman in this song and it really complements Adam's like sort of shrill frenetic energy. Tim just being kind of like, Fred just being kind of the muscle to compliment all this dancing around with the, a lot of, you know, a lot of words, a lot going on on Adam's side. And, and, and Fred's just like, uh, you know, uh, trying to think of what, what's the word, the, the thing that rolls over, say steamroller or whatever, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's uh, so
2: simple, too. I got it bad. I mean, there's no way to be more, you know, straightforward than that.
1: We're chatting with Rory, the last note here on Cover to Cover about taking back Sundays where you want to be. We've been talking about a decade under the influence and following a decade under the influence. We have this photograph is proof, parentheses. I know, you know, heavy, a it, it's a heavy, it's a heavy title on its face. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. What do you, what else do you think about this track? Any, uh, anything, uh, stand out musically?
2: Yeah, this is one of my favorite ones, because it has this chugging, uh, I, guess, I guess it's a rhythm guitar, where it's just going, and this very frenetic drum, uh, you know, work from uh, Mark, and it's just, uh, it's there's something off-kilter about it, and then it just goes straight ahead into the chorus, where it just, like, you know, blows the roof off of whatever building you're listening to it in, and, and, and that kind of contrast is really what makes it so iconic, I think, you know? Cool. Yeah.
1: After this photograph is proof, we have uh track called the Union. Um I mentioned yeah, I mentioned the Get Up Kids, you know, earlier. I, I just couldn't help but think of something to write home about when I heard the intro. Just yeah kind of kind of in that similar vein of intensity. Um there's a lyric here that just I don't i I wonder about it. Well I never made a scene well, they came to me. I never made a scene, well, they came to me. That that sounds, you know, kind of abstract or, you know, kind of open-ended. Um, but I wonder at this point, you know, in their career, if they're grappling with the idea of, you know, not just their success, but potentially signing with a major because at this point they're on victory records and then things kind of change from them, from what I've read, you know, the little bit I've read about them over time. Um, I wonder if that's a commentary on – how their world's going to change, you know, in the industry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be. Sort of the benefit of vague lyrics, I guess, that can be applicable to applied to a wide variety of uh, circumstances. I dig that. And the the repetition and the the switching off, uh, it just really keeps you on your toes. So this is one of the most um, chaotic songs on the record, I think. And then of course, gets quiet at points and then just explodes again. So that, that contrast really is the kind of thing I really dig about it.
1: After the union, we have, uh, we have a guy called new American classic. And uh, I don't know in my, in my notes here, I sort of, you know, said they're kind of channeling their very best Elliot Smith. Um, (laughs) It's it's a much more orchestral kind of vibe here. Uh, You hear some cello, you hear some acoustic guitar, maybe it's some violin, you know, a little bit more of a tender valid and, you know, I believe, you know, if I'm not mistaken, that all the string sections were performed by, uh, a quartet called the girl next door string quartet. Um, don't know if they're, you know, you know, local to long Island or, or what, but, um, all of these, you know, pieces, I believe were, you know, arranged by this quartet, which is really kind of cool. And, uh, piano, I, you know, wherever there are some piano components, here was, uh, I believe the conductor was Rezu Artez. Um Yeah, just a little side note, I guess.
2: Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is a curveball. It's, um, it's not the kind of thing you'd expect, but I think they do it pretty well. And then, uh, you know, there's that one line in the end of the chorus where it says, um, uh, you try to avoid it, but there's not a doubt. And there's one thing I can do nothing about. I think that's kind of a nice line to, uh, to sort of think about because it's um you know it's pretty insightful but uh, yeah it's uh yeah. it's definitely not like the type of vibe you would expect but it's a perfect uh change of pace
1: um after new american classic we have i am fred astaire and this is a time where they kind of crank up the amps again and basically say no <laughs> maybe we ha- we haven't changed all that much i mean right. you know we're we're gonna get back to you know the things that we love too and uh lyrically i wonder if this is a companion to you know uh that earlier song um uh the the mosh song part two uh in in some ways i don't know because there's just like i don't know it sounds like there's some you know similar protagonists at play but anyway what, what uh yeah. what say you about this track uh the misery the misery <laughs> i love yeah.
2: myself I love myself some misery when it comes to music because there's a lot of misery in life. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people because I write kind of sad songs a good portion of the time, too. I hear a lot of people say, oh, yeah, when I listen to music, I just want to be happy and escape from that. And and I kind of feel the opposite. Like, I like hearing songs about being really depressed or like, you know, unhappy because, you know, it's sort of like you can commiserate and you can kind of, get that negative energy out in a in a cathartic way.
1: Definitely. After yeah. I am Fred Astaire, we have 180 by Summer and I wonder too about whether or not you know the princess mentioned in Bonus Mosh Part Two is uh is referred to here. Um oh, yeah. another really kind of vulnerable track. She lives up to your first impression. Go on, just say it. Well my best side was your worst invention go on just right. and, and it continues it's uh yeah do you, you know what, what do you like about this track
2: uh this is this is actually this might be my favorite it, it's got to be like a tie between uh set phasers the stun uh bonus mosh or this one because this one right off the bat you have the call and answer say say what you want to tell me you want to um yeah the back and forth i don't think i'll ever come back down there's that cool little pre-chorus part before the chorus um, Fred going, uh, go on, just say it. It's, there's a lot of call and answer. It feels really effective. And then uh, some of the creepiest lyrics, you know, are just yeah. like <laughs> shadiest lyrics, you know. Um, again, can't you live without the attention? I see what you're saying, yeah. Um, I want you, I need you defenseless, dependent, and alone. I mean, that's like a pretty hard lyric to come around to. But, uh, you yeah. know, I don't know. I don't know what the intention is behind it, but it's descriptive.
1: It's descriptive. It's a little uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There's a lot of them in his lyrics, though. I don't know. I kind of feel like there's a place for that in, like, art, so to speak. I mean, mm-hmm. some some songs are creepy. You know, I'm not a big uh, proponent of being creepy in real life, but if you're going to put it into a song, I mean, whatever. It's, uh, get get your unconscious, you know, weird energy out <laughs> while you're screaming uh, over a loud guitar.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Friends, we're talking with Rory Delasino here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about taking back Sundays Where You Want to Be, which was released on Victory Records back in July of two thousand and four. Um, after this particular track we have number five with a bullet. What do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, that's um that's one that took me a little longer to come around to. Um it felt it felt too like uh, poppy or, like, uh, positive. It felt it felt kind of, like, uh, catchy and stuff, you know. I mean, the lyrics are, you know, we're going to die like this, you know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't angsty enough for me. But a very popular song and, and a pretty good one.
1: Nice, yeah. And then we uh, segue from number five with a bullet to Little Devotional. And uh, this is, seems to be kind of an aftermath of a, a dalliance, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. What uh what do you think about this one, you know, as we sort of wind down the record. It's you know, stays in, you know, kind of a seedy, maybe uncomfortable place for some people.
2: Yeah, definitely. I like the lyric, uh I said I'm gonna have myself in shambles, phone your folks up. Phone your folks they're up and looking for some answers. Hmm. Kind of interesting uh choice of words, interesting uh concept, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. And then after a little devotional we have Slow dance on the inside. Yeah, uh, that title. yeah. That first lyric passed out in our school clothes, so we'd wake up in our Sunday best. That's, I don't know. That just that that's kind of hilarious to me. But yeah, I never asked for your opinion. I just got it, and I get it.
2: That's and, a great line. Yeah, <laughs> I like really, that.
1: really in your face. So yeah, yeah but, you know, slow dance on the inside concludes just uh, just an absolutely brilliant record from taking back sunday and i'd like to you know wrap up our conversation here with um just a discussion about cover art so we live in the 21st century where you know we both know this as musicians people that you know love music you know are very well aware that no matter if you like things in the digital space or if you you know if you buy vinyl cassette cds whatever um there's always this presence of cover art, and uh, you know, Roy. I just want to talk a little bit about where you want to be's album covers. So, what kinds of images are conjured up in your mind when you look at this? Do you think it's an accurate portrayal of what you're going to hear? Um, what what happens when you you know when you initially take a look at this? What, uh, what's your reaction?
2: <laughs> of all the albums, this is the one where the question about the album art is the weirdest because I don't know why there's just like naked little boy on the cover but uh yeah did not play a role in my interest in this album um the one thing i would say about the album that's cool is just the fact that they include that number uh 152 on every record they have i forget what the reason was i think it had to do with um if i'm not mistaken adam was in north carolina and they had to take a certain exit off of the the highway to get to him or something that effect but um that's that's kind of a cool thing, because this artwork doesn't look anything like, you know, Louder Now, the next record, for example, um, mm-hmm. but that 152 is, is uh, prevalent on all of them. Other than that, I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting. I'm looking at it now, but uh, I don't know that I ever really spend too much time looking at this naked kid. <laughs>
1: right right it, you know he's got his right hand up in the air he's sort of like gesticulating in one direction you know through this meadow yeah. and there's this kind of like open road and it's almost like he's you know this little boy is making like that trekkie sort of sign um <laughs> I, I, I might be wrong but you know or he's just kind of you know pointing to this you know place out in the world that he would rather be and yeah taking it from there and you know this yeah I mean, there's a certain element, you know, of vulnerability here, I guess, you know, where yeah. here, here I am, like, you know, a naked child, a naked human being, like, this is me in my birthday suit, and <laughs>
2: I have got, I have nothing to hide. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that seems like a pretty uh, decent interpretation. I don't know that I ever read about a why they why they chose that, but there is certainly an air of vulnerability and, you know, being naked and, you know, reaching out into the distance at something uh sort of meaningful as well, so it's, uh, it's all kind of mysterious. Absolutely.
1: Well, Rory No, you are a musician. I love your music. I, I love this choice with Taking Back Sunday. Thank you so much for being on the program. It's been great having you today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man.
0: All right. Thanks so much to all of you for taking some time to stop by the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcasts, whether that's on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or maybe even Amazon. Take a moment to tell a friend or tell some of your family members about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. That will certainly help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at cover cover dot com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and share it a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.